Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Chijang, a culture writer and critic. And we are back. <laughs> so we took a couple weeks off because, you know, fuck burnout. Everyone needs a vacation. And it was great. But yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> so, sorry, guys. Yeah, sorry. But also, you know, who cares? Take a vacation. Um, <laughs> before we get more into that, this week we are discussing physical and evil. Two shows about battling demons of sorts, both inner demons and outer demons. So, Helen, how have your last couple of weeks been? Well, I went and have. I'm now back from London. The annual trip was skipped last year because of some disease or something. So it was really <laughs> good. To, it was really, really good to see my family, man. Mm-hmm. Like it was just nice to be around them um, and remember how loud they are. <laughs> Um, and, but yeah, it was fantastic. London was sunny for most of the time that we were there, which was nuts. Um, and we unfortunately took the sun with us because now I think it's cold, but it was really good. Um, I love my hometown. I love it so much. My miserable little shitty hometown. Now we're back. And now that we're back, uh, we are moving houses. So the movers are coming tomorrow and I'm surrounded by boxes. Uh, which is not fun in this heat. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much the update of my life. How a about lot you, going on. Um, yeah, so much. Uh, for me, not as much. But speaking of, I guess, like heat and sunshine and weather in general, uh, what the fuck is up with it? This is not oh, yeah. the start of like a stand-up bit, sorry. But just <laughs> weather, I don't know. I am, where I am, it's been like, raining hard as hell and there was even mm. a day of uh basically like flooding low-key flooding and we had a tornado watch which didn't amount to anything but still like between this like what's happening on the west coast like just like heat waves everywhere and fucking i don't know man this is yeah man this is not good no it's not good at all and have you seen the meme of bart and homer simpson where bart is like this is the hottest summer of my life. And Homer turns around to him and goes, this is the coldest summer of the rest of your life. Oh my God. And that's basically it, dude. We are headed towards, we're just barreling down towards terrible, terrible global warming. Yeah. Um, Hey, it's what it is. At least (laughs) least, uh, the trick is to not have kids so you don't fry them uh, with the fuckery later on. And you're the only one to kind of see the tail end of it and go out. So I think so. Yeah. Just hope for like a, a quick, early, painless, death uh, yeah that yeah. sounds good but it, those that do have kids just you know think about iceland think about you know the pacific northwest just places that are a little bit colder than wherever you are <laughs> yeah i think canada's maybe gonna be booming far up north canada oh hell yeah 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 we'll go to like what's the one that's yeah greenland greenland is actually the one with ice and iceland is actually pretty green right so oh i think so yeah I'll see you in Greenland, dude. <laughs> Sounds like a deal. In 20 years, let's go. We'll be potting out of our little iceberg <laughs> houses. A little, um, like, bomber shelter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll see you there. So now that we have our future plans laid out, um, what what have you been watching this week, Jenny? What have you been up to? Yeah, so I have been watching very recently, most recently, uh, the show Physical on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, it's a new dark comedy and it is created by Annie Weissman. It's set in 1980s San Diego, which is uh, kind of like Reagan-esque, you know, this like white conservative place actually compared to, you know, what people think of as California. The show stars Rose Byrne, love her, as a repressed housewife named Sheila, 
who absolutely hates herself. She hates her husband. She hates her life, her, like everyone around her. And we see from the very beginning, um, like the opening that she ultimately carves out this successful path in like aerobics video. Mm -hmm. Um, the show like shows at the beginning and then we sort of backtrack to five years ago to show how that came about from like her origins as this totally like tortured, miserable, uh, housewife essentially. And there are, I think only four episodes out so far. Uh, it's going to air weekly on Friday for a total of 10 episodes. And they're only half hour each. So it's like pretty easy to get through. Yeah. Um, but if you're into the 80s, if you're into like, you're, if you're like mourning the loss of Glow, it is not exactly like Glow, except for like some of the aesthetics. It is very cynical, very like sharp edged. It's not heartwarming the way that no. Glow is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what are your initial thoughts on it, Pellin? And, and how far are you through this? I've, I'm caught up to the four episodes. Okay. I'm excited for Friday to, to get to, through the rest of it. You know, when it, the first thing that I really loved about it, honestly, was her relationship with her husband. It's extremely like, oh my God, come see womanhood. Like, this <laughs> is kind of what it's like, especially for that age, for mm-hmm. that era. It's just fascinating seeing her just pure unbridled resentment yeah. at the world, at her husband, at herself, obviously. Yeah, that I, I love the I love the tone of it. I love that it is extremely like takes your head and like forces you to look at it, you know? Yeah. I will say, definitely a little bit triggering. Oh, uh, for but, sure. You know, we have growth, so I handled it pretty well. But I'll let you explain why that's why it was pretty triggering. Yeah. So, like, part of the the thing about like Sheila's neuroses, like her self loathing, it's wrapped up with her essentially like extremely disordered eating. She has bulimia. Like this thing that they show early on is like how she spends every waking moment sort of hating her body, criticizing herself, criticizing the other women around her for their bodies. And, like, when she really can't handle it anymore, she goes and rents out a hotel room, she buys a shit ton of fast food, she eats it all, and then she purges. So it it does not shy away from the fact that she has this really, like, awful eating disorder, and every thought that she has, like, these vicious, poisonous thoughts directed towards herself and other people, but, you know, primarily rooted in, like, hatred of herself and her own body, it's so... Like, visceral, it's, it does not, like, dance around this fact at all. It shows that plain as day, the thoughts that are running through your head, stream of consciousness, they are so... I mean, like, like you said, Helen, they will be triggering to anyone who has had, like, a re... You know, not the greatest relationship with their own eating, their own body, yeah. their own image, anything like that. Which, you know, definitely for my case, when I, when I was watching this, like, they sort of hit you with it from the very beginning. And I was like, yeah. shit, this is brutal it is like yeah. brutal to to hear this to see her direct this at herself and other people but to also yeah. hear it sort of like reflected back on yourself in a way and all the things that you know that i've had to like i don't know i'm like not over this or whatever like i still think no, yeah, i mean hate yeah. myself but yeah yeah it's yeah. a very brutal watch in that sense yeah i i mean i'll just come out and say it i have an eating disorder i think i've had it since i was about 18 I I wouldn't say I've recovered from it, but I'm managing it pretty well now. Like, I don't really have... Those thoughts do not cross my mind. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and they haven't for the last couple of years, thanks to like therapy, thanks to just growing up and realizing that, that you don't have control in life, which is, I think, the main crux of why I even had it in the first place. But the relentlessness of her thought process is extremely accurate. Mm-hmm. It's very accurate. It's basically kind of how I used to navigate the world. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't have bulimia. I was, it was more anorexia for me, but the way that she navigates her success as a human being around that. And then also, I guess, like, you know, her, the process of like, uh, eating and then purging, the way she weaponizes that feeling after she's purged to then, torpedo herself a little bit forwards towards success and mm-hmm. what that means for her um it's very accurate it's extremely yeah. accurate so you know it was a tough watch at first because yeah. i was just like oh wow i haven't like this the, the process that she's going through i haven't done that like i really it was like it's like a volume in your head that i've kind of turned down i still hear it it's a very faint whisper but it reminded me of how fucking loud that voice can get. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> like I needed like a second to just like pause and just like get myself together and then like, keep watching and being like, this is just trying to depict what it's like. And yeah, I respect that. And I think it's important, I guess, for uh, for people that don't have it to kind of see what it's like. And I, I really, really commend it for that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like it so much is like, hey, we talk about this is one of the perks of female-centered and female-written shows that I really respect. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice to see that. Yeah, for sure. And it's also, I think, like interesting that, like you said, it doesn't shy away from this, and it doesn't try to paint Sheila as this like person on the path of I don't know what we consider recovery or self-improvement or whatever. Yeah. Like it almost like equally is, is triggering as like all of her thoughts of self-loathing or like the the parts where she tricks herself she deludes herself she's like i will get better i like vow to get better by which i mean like i'm going to get thinner i'm going to get stronger i'm going to get fitter and i'm gonna stop this and from that end instead of like you know i guess what we would consider recovery now which is like coming to terms with it like turning the volume down in your head like you said pollen yeah um learning to i don't know some form of like body neutrality or body positivity or whatever um yeah yeah or just I, I think mainly just like weighing up what gives you pleasure yeah but so it's she is on like this path where like you said she will weaponize this sort of voice in her head this sort of like self-resentment and hatred of her body and herself and she will eventually like if what the show promises comes true like she will turn that into a very successful career in which she her body will be her selling point and the the promise that she makes to other women, other housewives that they too can have a body like hers if they do X, Y, Z. And I think it is, it does speak to like what you said, like the, both the showrunner is a woman, um, like Rose Byrne is, has played, she's had like a very interesting sort of history in terms of her career and the kinds of women she has played. I think like, Tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the the moment she sort of rose up is like mostly through like bridesmaids when she played mm-hmm. a very specific kind of woman, like a, the yeah. ideal like woman on there. Yeah, I definitely I completely agree with you. The first time I took notice of her was Damages, where she plays the mentee of uh, Glenn Close's character, mm-hmm. and they have a very interesting relationship as two women um, that are trying to seek power. 
And that already, like, I respected her so much for that. And I think with Bridesmaids as well, it's like the power that she has as the rich friend mm-hmm. um, was really interesting. I, yeah, I think she's very thoughtful about the type of woman that she, like, she takes the roles of. Yeah. Um, which is cool. It's cool to see how women grapple with power. And I think with physical, it is extremely that. Yeah. And it's giving off a little bit of, like, girl boss vibes. It's, but it's, like, showing you the, the darker, like, underpinnings of that, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, she is not like a I think she Sheila is a sympathetic character in that like you can empathize with I guess what's going on you you can sort of understand why she hates her life a little bit why she hates her husband who is this like he was a professor who got fired um he like yeah like hits on his students he like has affairs with the students presumably he is now running for office and this totally self-delusional bid for office yeah. they're both like as far as we know, they are both like somewhat former, like liberal hippie progressives who now have ended up in this like conservative era and and place, and now they're like sort of struggling to to see where they fit in there. I the characters aren't exactly likable, any of them. Even like no. Sheila, as much as I can understand and like relate to some of her feelings, like I would not say any of these characters so far are very likable. What about you, Pellin? I agree. There's just like an entire lack of self-awareness. I think what Sheila thinks is self-awareness is actually her neuroses that only damage her. And yeah, I mean, sure, she weaponizes it and we see her, you know, fast ahead of time, like five years ahead of time where she is successful and like good for her and everything. But we don't, we start to see the glimpses of what she does to get to that point. And it's never good. Um, so I don't like, I wouldn't call her an anti-hero, but she certainly is not likable. Um, her husband is, it's it's like someone said, all right, so you know, the liberal man now, Mm -hmm. uh, just think of him, but in the eighties and it's just like, (laughs) he's perfect. Like I hate him so much. He's perfect. He has no idea what's going on with his finances, has no idea what it's like to parent, relies solely on his wife. Yeah. Um, and also, but thinks he is capable of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, including running for office, which was like you, you know that then when you watch it, it's her idea. But the fact that he relies on her solely to kind of come through with stuff and that constant like disappointment, yeah, um, that he is is fantastic. Yeah, there's no one likable. The I think the only likable person is probably the rich friend, Greta. Um, yeah, who is Greta. like also very insecure and self loathing in yeah. in a different way. But yeah, I did feel like actually more sympathy for her i felt she was more like i don't know she is like a a normal kind of person who yeah she's kind she's kind she's kind she like i don't like the scene where you know she takes uh her kid and and sheila's kid out to get you know just like an after school snack or whatever like some fast food and then sheila comes upon them and she's just like so she's raging underneath and you hear greta like just kind of half apologetically being like, oh, you know, we, we missed snacks, we got hungry. I don't yeah. know, I felt so, I felt a little, like, tender towards Greta. Yeah, especially because she is the mirror in which we see Sheila, yeah. um, where she keeps saying, like, I kept telling you these things and you've just forgotten, you never listened to me. Yeah. Um, and that's, like, a common theme with Sheila, is just, like, she takes in the information that only she cares about or that pertains to her. And yeah. everybody else, like, she doesn't give a fucking shit. And that's like, yeah, she sucks. She sucks, but I, yeah, I only empathize with her because of 
how much self-loathing she has through her body. Yeah. And I think that's very relatable. And I think I think that's an interesting choice, you know? Yeah. 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 Definitely a deliberate choice so far. And I think the only question or, like, question mark I have regarding Sheila is, like, so far from what we've seen, like, only these first few episodes, of course, I still don't know, like, why or how did Sheila get like this? Yeah. Um Where she, of course, like, everyone has this to some degree where you have this, like, stream of consciousness running that's like not entirely what you present out into the world mm-hmm. but like for her the dichotomy is just so severe it's so like yeah such a huge difference a world of difference between this like picture perfect outer front she presents like a, a perfect wife or a perfect mother a kind friend and this inside she is just like this storm is raging that is just like these clouds of toxicity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so far, at least I'm still left wondering, like, was she always like this? Um, or did like something happen to make her like this in particular? Or so as far as like a character choice, I, I'd like to know more. I agree. And I think you'll start getting into it. Cause I think in the, in episode four, their college friend that's come to visit says something about her being rich. Yeah. And having mm-hmm. rich parents, which would explain a lot. With her self-image issues, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, I grew up poor and I still <laughs> I still had self-image issues. It's about control. It's basically about that. And I think, like, she... We know that she married her husband, who was poorer than they were, like her family was. And also, he, like, in his words, he's like a, you know, a liberal Jew. It, yeah, that, that was interesting. I'm excited to see how they get more into her. I think probably it's got something to do with her mother. As to why she ended up the way she is. So I'm excited to see if we get to see Sheila's mother. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because she's also like, she's a mother to a daughter as well. And, I, and it's been, hasn't really been getting into it apart from that, that, um, after school snack that you talked about. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just so. say as a side note, like her daughter is supposed to be what, like five, six? I can never tell the age of children. Yeah. I would say six. She looks about six. Okay. But yeah. when she, I don't know, maybe there's something going on. But she behaves like a a two year old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she wails and and she wails like a like two or three year old. Yeah, I agree. I that that threw me for a loop as well. I didn't know whether that was just like to prove a point that she's fucking loud and they're trying to have this argument while she's screaming. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't I don't get that either. It, it is a lot. Like I watched the four episodes basically back to back. Yeah, and I understand the creative choices to kind of depict how manic sheila's life feels mm-hmm. and like the hard cuts and then the the pans to the you know the quick pans and everything like i get all of that but it does um i would recommend that you watch this sp- like spaced out so- yeah spaced okay. out yeah 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 exactly. it's not a super pleasant watch although i was i found myself the more i watched the more i you know interested in investigating game um so i think that partly explains i think also why reception to this seems to be a little bit mixed mm. um i'll say it's like been pretty polarizing among you know critics that i've read oh that's and interesting yeah which you can see that there are some like high barriers to entry like you have to sort of get over some of the hurdles to allow yourself to watch this but i guess for some people you know it also may just be like totally unwatchable if it's too too triggering too intrusive too abrasive in you know all the different ways uh maybe that kind of explains it but for me yeah i although i'm not necessarily having fun per se i'm definitely interested in what's happening i'm yeah very fascinated by it yeah and Mm -hmm. rose byrne i think is she's really killing it at this role this is sort of 
I think a new career um, or performance like high for her. Definitely. I, I will say her act of getting, you know, three bags and fries with a chocolate shake and then going to a motel room and eating them naked. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I would like to do it obviously without, with obviously without the purging, but that yeah. sounds like a really fucking fun time. Like I would like to do that when I'm feeling stressed. I, I was going to ask you actually, speaking of like, uh, a famous actor getting into TV. Did you ever watch uh, the one that Kirsten Dunst starred in on Hulu? Um, on no. Becoming, uh, uh, on Becoming a God in Central Florida. No, I didn't. Yeah, so she's she's the lead role for it. It's obviously it's not the same character, mm-hmm. but it's set in the same time frame. Oh. So it's the 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 period piece is the same, okay. and it's about she's like a former dancer, oh. um, and then she gets pulled into like a. Uh, an MLM, like a pyramid scheme, and it ruins her life. And then she seeks revenge. I only watched a couple of episodes, but she was also great in that. So if you're like on an 80s trip and you want to watch a really good actress kind of in their bag with TV, I would also recommend that. But yeah, it's just, it's just funny that like the 80s period dramas are kind of coming out. And I wonder if that is the glow effect. I'm not sure. Maybe. I feel yeah. like I could believe it if it was, you yeah. know. Unfortunately, R.E.P. Glow. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how this turns out. And uh, I guess we'll stay tuned. What about you, Pellen? What did you watch this week? So this week I watched Evil. I watched, uh, I'm, I'm mostly through the first season, which is on Netflix. It's originally was produced by CBS. Netflix bought the, uh, bought the first season uh, but the second season just came out and it switched over to Paramount Plus. So now that's on Paramount Plus and I'll cross that bridge when I get to it, basically, <laughs> as I'm sure you all will as well. But basically, guys, Satanic Panic is back. Uh, welcome to all my Buffy heads. This is for you. Um, this is created by Robert and Michelle King. And if you know those names, it's because you know The Good Wife and The Good Fight. They are the creators of both of those excellent, excellent procedural TV shows. And this is also a procedural. They do love those. Um, but it's essentially about faith and demons, I guess, is the kind of like the easiest way to summarize it. But to get more into it, it follows Dr. Kristen Bouchard, who's played by Katia Herbers. She's a forensic psychologist and a former Catholic turned atheist. I think she grew up Catholic. Um, she stumbles into working with David Acosta, who's played by Mike Coulter, who is a priest in training. He's hired by the Catholic Church as an assessor, which is basically a fact checker of miracles and possessions and supernatural occurrences that pertain to the church. Um, and Kristen is kind of brought on as the skeptic. And there's obviously the obligatory tech guy who's like the ultimate skeptic out of the three of them. Um, he is Ben Shakir, who's played by Asif Manvi. And he's also a Muslim, which is, I don't know a Ben that's also a Muslim, but I don't know, maybe I haven't, I don't know. And um, it kind of of feels like they just shoehorn that in, but that's just me. Anyway, so I started watching this after I saw a review from Richard Lawson in Vanity Fair about how good season two is and how it's like a show that everybody's kind of sleeping on. Uh, And I knew that, I I found out that the Kings uh, created it and I was like, well, it can't be bad if they created it because they fucking excellent like i love the good wife and fight but for you who doesn't know this background and didn't get into this jenny where are you at and how do you what's your initial takeaway so i've watched two episodes of season one and i 
am not a fan of spooky stuff, as you know, Bella. <laughs> yeah, I it know. is. This is not like terrible. It's definitely unsettling because there are demons, ostensibly, maybe mm-hmm. question mark, may yeah. or may not be demons, yeah, um, or just like products of I don't know our collective like, nightmares or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's definitely like unsettling in parts, but not unwatchable at all for me. It is like a little bit fascinating because mm. of the questions they raise about like, you know, exactly that. Like, is this, are these real? What are these? Like, is there like some rational explanation between XYZ weird occult thing happening? Yeah. Or is there actually something like a cult happening? Mm-hmm. Um, so the way they sort of dance between those is interesting, I would say so far, especially going off of just two episodes. Um, the explanations they come up for why certain things happen or turn out, whether it's there's just like a totally banal human reason for it or something deeper that can't be explained away by rationality and like uh common sense or whatever but i will also say i i don't know if i will continue but maybe i will because i don't like the main character that much Kristen Kristen. or david Kristen, um david Mm. seems fine Kristen, i don't know if there's just something about the way that uh katya herbers plays her where Mm -hmm. it's a little bit stiff for me um Mm. So I'm not totally invested on that front. And also, I'm like, who the fuck has four daughters who are basically, like, one after the other in the same age range? Yeah, yeah, and she still looks fantastic. (laughs) For someone in her 30s, ostensibly, this character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, like, I think 35, maybe late 30s. Um, Katya Herbers is a Dutch actress. Yeah, I thought... Something about the way she like enunciates certain words is a little yeah bit, like, yeah off to yeah. Me. It's a bit. It, it is a, a little bit Dutch, but maybe that explains it. Maybe that's just her stiffness. Is just her trying to seem American. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have too much of a beef with Chris, and I actually don't like Mike Coulter. Oh really? Yeah, okay. I've I've never not that I don't like him. I think he's really fucking hot. <laughs> like I think he's <laughs> really really attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, I never liked him in Luke Cage. And I don't, and I couldn't figure out if that was because of how Luke Cage was written or if it was because of him. And now watching this, I think it's him. Okay, what is is it about him or the way he I just don't think he has like on screen chemistry with anybody. That's fair. They have no chemistry between them. They have none. They have none. And it's funny because I think Richard Lawson was like, it's electric. I don't know what the fuck he's seeing because I don't, (laughs) I don't get it. Um, I also think he is a, a, he's a pretty stiff actor as well. Like, and I think that, unfortunately, I think that's because of how hot he is. Like, sometimes when you reach that level of hotness, it's like, yeah, you can't really see the lines in your face or you can't. And it's good for him, but uh, it doesn't make for a good actor, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that, actually. I think it's just the fact that in the first two episodes, there hasn't been that much of him so i haven't mm-hmm. had a chance to like fully be annoyed by it yeah but i i would agree it's a little bit i don't know like the something kind of r- doesn't routine gel. yeah yeah like, very routine the way that he plays yeah it. yeah so just to give a little bit more context about these characters david and Kristen, they're basically like i guess diametrically opposed as a, when it comes to religion um david is a believer he's training to be a priest of course and Kristen is uh, a non-believer basically so it's kind of like this Mulder and scully relationship that they have uh where they approach everything very differently but they respect each other and they respect each other's opinions and obviously 
because this is a TV show, it's to the point of attraction. So they, I think they I both are that. attracted to each other. It's just that obviously Kristen is married. Her husband is out of town. He gives tours about climbing Mount Everest and, you know, they're both climbers. But he's out of town. He eventually does come uh, sometime oh, later okay. on in the season. And he's great. And... Um, yeah, I don't understand the four daughters thing, but good for that. Like, I do, I do enjoy it. It feels very like Little Women, <laughs> so <laughs> I'll give that to them. Um, That's true. Yeah, I, and I think like the reason why I like this show is, like you said, Jenny, the ongoing tension is whether Kristen, uh, she's essentially our protagonist, believes the unexplainable, and so can the viewer. Mm-hmm. What we mean, what I mean by believes the unexplainable, is whether or not you you have something you can't explain and whether or not you chalk it up to that means that there's these, that there are demons, God exists or whether it's like, well, science just hasn't gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that it's that ongoing, like gray area. They, they are not scared of uh, sitting in that gray area as a show. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that question does become a little bit annoying to a point. And I think that's my critique of it. It's just oh, like, okay, really? we get it, but mm-hmm. can we just move on? And there is an engine. There, there is an engine of a, an antagonist. Um, okay. And there is the engine of the world is ending. Of course, what what better engine than the potential of the world ending? Right? Okay. Um, so, I ta- so I take it demons do exist in this. Yeah. So they, they introduce it pretty early where there's like 60 demons Mm-hmm. that are working for the devil to incur- to basically bring on the end of the world. Okay. We're getting there. Basically, it's like trickled into us and then you know, somehow Kristen and David are involved and anyway. So, you know, along the way they've got it's like I mentioned it's a procedural so every episode there's something that they kind of solve. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's tied into the ongoing theme that doesn't get solved obviously until like either the season finale or the series finale, who knows. Um you know, it, it does make assessors look very sexy. Um, assessors are real. Uh, assessors for the Catholic Church. Oh. Uh, the, the, very boring compared to how they're depicted, which is understandable. This is TV. Like, TV made doctors look sexy and lawyers look sexy. <laughs> so, like, they can make anything look sexy. I will say, I have no idea if the Catholic Church is behind this, and I'm assuming that they probably are. Um, and they're trying to throw in some self-aware jokes about child abuse, because they do that quite oh. often. Oh. Yeah, they've um, got money to spare. This is yeah, yeah. They've got they, yeah. They can they can come back from <laughs> they've shown year after year they can come back from that. But I do. I've got to say I do love Catholic high drama with like the aesthetics and like you know the uh, like how how closely related they are to occultism. Yeah, um, they they are. Yeah. There is something like very dramatic about yeah. You know everything I guess in the. Just their their history, their I don't know their legacy. Like you said, the aesthetics, like the Met, the Met Ball that was like Catholic Catholicism, like oh, people yeah. themed, like hands down one of the best ones. One of the best, Rihanna. I will never forget that outfit. Um, <laughs> I respect it because I think they just they figured out storytelling in a, mm-hmm. for religion like perfectly. It's just it's just incredible. It's definitely like it feels upper crust that the amount of thought that they put into the architecture, the amount of put thought that they put into the stories. Mm-hmm. I call them stories. I apologize uh, to anyone <laughs> listening that is a catholic, but you know what I mean. So, um it's obviously not without its problems, but they did wit like it out of the religions I would say that they won in the aesthetics and storytelling department. I would love it if uh Muslims got the catholic glam squad for them so we can mm. maybe get into it a little bit. Uh, as well <laughs> um but yeah the, the show with the kings 
if you've never seen The Good Wife or The Good Fight, they do a lot of like, like they, they take from real life events as inspiration for plot points and they just change the names around because, you know, legally they kind of have to. But it's always fun because they approach these things in the procedural episodes in a very fun way. And they do, they do the, the same thing with this. It's a little bit more heavy handed. It doesn't feel as natural, uh, but I get it. So they, you know, the, the intersection of technology and evil are very important to why the world is ending. And, yeah. Um, I was kind of like struck by, for some reason, when I watched this, the, the sort of like gray or colder tones of it, it, it gave mm-hmm. me very much like, early odds feels even though i know yeah. it's like current but yeah. they had mentions of stuff like snapchat and like incels and yeah 4chan and i was every time one of those came up i was like oh sort of like jolted awake and it's like oh shit yeah. this is actually set um i guess in modern contemporary ages yeah yeah and it's and it's also with with all the other set designs like with david's um office or home or wherever he lives it's it's in a in some kind of catholic building so it's like high ceilings and arches and and brown tones and Kristen's office is all very brown tone as well so it gives you that kind of like 90s feel of mm-hmm. oh they're bookish so it's all brown tones <laughs> and mm-hmm. then yeah it's um the thing that is keeping me watching is honestly the tone of it i don't think the i don't think there's anything like what the kings produce with regards to like that that perfect sweet spot between zaniness and darkness mm-hmm. um especially when it starts talking about the end of the world or like especially when it's talking about the state of human beings and humanity mm-hmm. it's a little bit like you know roll your eyes because every generation says that about them their own generation but there's just something that feels especially true especially when you're watching it coming off of a pandemic wait <laughs> and and especially as you're as we mentioned barreling towards global warming it's like oh yeah we really are fucked like there, there really is no way like we've lost the thread on whatever the fuck this is um so to to hear it on screen to see it and to see how people are like earnestly trying to like work against that is interesting and with every episode nothing really gets answered fully which i also respect there's always like a bunch of questions that you're just like so what happened with her and then what happens now you you just don't get it you don't get it they just move on to the next thing or they revisit it a couple episodes later um but, but yeah I guess, I, like I, some things just like can't be explained some things can't be explained i guess that's kind of the point of yeah. whatever they're doing yeah some things can't be explained but all you gotta know is that we're definitely fucked and i love that <laughs> like <laughs> yes true um but yeah like i mentioned at the intro it's definitely giving buffy i think josh whedon had that kind of zaniness that we all know now I, I was a big Buffy fan, so it's really giving it to me. And I kind of like, you mentioned it reminds you of like a 90s show, and that's kind of part of my nostalgia as well. It's really giving me that. And I, I know a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's a procedural, but mm-hmm. um, I really enjoy the feel and the tone of it. What did you feel? Because I think you've seen enough of um, Leland Townsend, right? The Oh, the bad guy, essentially. The antagonist. Yeah, so this guy is played by Michael Emerson, who you will know. Um, he is Ben from Lost. And he kind of plays the same guy <laughs> of just like the creepy nerd that's evil. But yeah, I. Uh, what did you think of him? I guess he seems a little bit. Maybe there's a a reason behind his like being that I don't know yet. Like maybe he. I guess at this point I don't know yet. Like is he like li- actually like literally a demon? Because the explanation they give for him, which is that he is like a guy who just loves to push people to do evil things because. Mm-hmm. 
there are just people like that in the world, I guess. I don't know. Like, it seems a little cartoonish to me, but also, like, if he is, like, a literal demon, I guess that makes sense. But as it is right now, two episodes in, there's some ambiguity around who he is and, like, why he does what he does. I'm Mm -hmm. kind of just like, you know, do people like this actually exist? Maybe they do. Yeah, I agree with you in that it is cartoonish. Um, The antagonist, I think, has to exist for shows like this that want to be networked, that want to be going for seasons and seasons. You know, in the good fight and also in the good wife, there's always some kind of cartoonish antagonist that the lawyers are trying to work against. I will say that the way that this guy is written, it feels lazy writing. It feels like lazy writing, which, okay. I mean, who the fuck am I? You know, I'm, I don't have a problem. You, you script. are a writer, yeah. But, no, but like at the same time, I get it because I think it kind of feeds to, it's like a very low hanging fruit with him. And for that reason, he's, I'm the least interested in what he's doing. And it, I kind of want to skip ahead, but I know that he might say something that might pertain to the overall arc of our protagonist's story. That's my only critique. I would say that, you know, I think it's two critiques. It's Mike Coulter isn't doing it for me. <laughs> and I would say that, yeah, the Leland Townsend character doesn't really do it for me either. But I'm inter- I'm interested to see how this goes. There's obviously, I'm, I'm sure there are a bunch of TV shows that I'm not watching on network TV that kind of pertain to the occult and all religious stuff. But it's interesting to see this one grapple with it. Because one of my favorite showrunners, Damon Lindelof, he talks about religion a lot. Or like he talks about grief and faith and what that means. You know, he co-created Lost, he created The Leftovers. And it, th- these things talk about faith quite a bit. So I I find the human condition with regards to faith very, very interesting to examine. This is Mm -hmm. definitely not as heavy um, as those two shows that I just mentioned, but it is, it kind of gives you the taste of what it means to believe and what that says about you when you do believe or what that says about you when you don't. So it's cool. I've heard that season two is better than season one. So that's kind of why I'm pushing through. Um, But... I, yeah, I appreciate the zaniness and also the darkness at the same time. I think that balance is very hard to get, and I think they figured that out. All right, so that's enough about demons. For Culture Notes this week, we will be talking about the unfortunate case of Britney Spears. So, Jenny, do you want to give a lowdown about sure. what's been happening this week? Yeah, so Britney, you know, there have been an increasing amount of just like documentaries and like coverage surrounding Britney and conservatorship, which is, you know, if you, I hate to like bring it back to pop culture, but if you remember from I Care A Lot, basically the idea of conservatorship abuse. Um, so Britney Spears, it's been revealed more and more and like covered more and more, has been under the conservatorship of her father, um, her family in general. For years and years, actually decades at this point, she has had every financial decision, um, career decision, personal decision. They've all been more or less overseen um, by her family and her father. And she has not had the legal autonomy to be able to do things like, um, as has been revealed recently in like reports in the New York Times and, you know, her own testimony, she hasn't been able to do things like decide to get her cabinets repainted or have another child because, you know, she is not allowed to remove the 
IUD um, from herself or, you know, take a break from performing. You know, she's been forced into facilities and like uh, institution for problems that she says like they are not like actual problems. And meanwhile, the whole time she's been continuing to work. She's been performing. She's had her Las Vegas residency. She pays all of her staff and all of her dancers and everyone who works with her. And one of her main things that she says, like she had this like 24 minute long public testimony this week with a judge when she was, you know, trying to basically appeal to get her conservatorship eliminated without having to take an evaluation. You know, she pointed out she has been working and she is paying these people who ostensibly work for her, but it's like she works for them, the dynamic. Yeah. She has to have everything run by them. It's like they're her bosses. Meanwhile, she is the one paying them. So I don't, it just recently, all these new damning reports have come out. You know, she had this very public testimony that I feel like everyone was tuning into that was really heartbreaking. Yeah. And now there's so much sort of like coverage and also rethinking and reflecting on how. I guess, like the media and public figures treated mm-hmm. Britney in, you know, the years when she was sort of at her low points. Yeah, it's been, you know, that the, there was the documentary that came out, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. not too long ago. A f- and couple her, months ago or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like her response to that was, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. And then to hear her public testimony, it's so... It's extremely sad, but I'm extremely happy that she has found her voice. Yeah. And when you listen to it, you hear the strength in it. Like, she sounds pissed, which is, yes, exactly. Like, I'm so glad that she has found the strength to speak out, to really kind of break down exactly what the fuck has been going on with her life for the last, like, 13 years, mm-hmm. maybe more. Um, it's just... I think those that were talking about freeing Britney, you know, this is a movement that's been going on for a couple of years now and it's kind of gained traction in the last year and a half or so. Yeah. Um, it's There's a lot of rage towards her family and I think it's completely justified and I think I can, I mean, I'm sure you will agree, can't wait to see them pay for this. Like, there has to be <laughs> some kind of punishment for this. The interesting thing is, I think, a lot of people that talk about disability rights, a lot of people that talk about the rights of people that are getting older, I know that, you know, we talked about I Care A Lot, which is more about, like, elderly conservatorship. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting to see the reactions uh, for a lot of people uh, with regards to the fact that she cannot remove her IUD, the fact that they force her on lithium. Like, mm-hmm. these things happen to a lot of disabled people, both men and women, all the time. So it's it will be interesting to see if she is the start of this awareness. I think a lot of people do not realize has been happening. Uh, because, you know, this is happening to the most iconic pop star basically of all time, like in American history. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it can happen to her, it kind of tells you all you need to know about how the disabled are treated, both in this country, around the world. It's painful, but it's heartening to see this um, become something that everybody is now aware of. Yeah, I think it is actually like, yeah, drawing awareness to this. Like people are finding out things that they didn't know before, for sure. I think it's bringing light to the multiple failures, I guess, on the on a legal level, like in a s- systemic level, like yeah, how people get trapped in these conservatorships or like guardianships or whatever against their will, against 
you know, their, their autonomy, um, and how like different levels, like different parts of the system kind of conspire to keep them in these positions. Like they, you know, if you go through this Brittany case in particular, there are parts showing where, you know, the judge that previously presided over, you know, whatever appeal uh, about this conservatorship, where the judge like just did not give a fuck. Mm-hmm. There, you can see there, there, there's evidence, growing coverage of like how her own lawyer that she pays for, but that was appointed by someone who is not her. She could not select her own lawyer. Like they all have vested interests in basically keeping her locked in this um, conservatorship, and all of them are more or less like making money off of it. And all of this is totally legal. And mm-hmm. the fact that she did not know that she could you know, appeal to get her conservatorship ended until like very recently, like she spent a decade without knowing this because mm-hmm. her own lawyer, I guess, like didn't tell her, her lawyer that she did not appoint, but that she pays for didn't tell her. So all these different levels of things that just like, if you are not a legal expert, if you do not have all this knowledge and the expertise to advocate for yourself in the way that a professional would, in a way that no one should have to do for themselves, like yeah, all these things are designed to sort of keep the people at their center like still trapped in whatever system that they're in whatever uh, conservatorship and like guardianship that they're in like whether for for breeding particular or like you said for people who you know they're deemed not not fit to take care of themselves like mentally or physically or sometimes or or they're deemed too old or whatever like they're it's it's insane that this is how it works and that, that there are so many many like not even loopholes, because again, the the system was kind of designed like this, but it's insane that this is how it works, like how it's legal and how things happen here in this country, at least. I, I don't know about elsewhere, but yeah. Yeah, it's and it's especially annoying because these things are, the reason why they're set up that way is like, they think it's because it's for that person's own protection. Yeah. But when money is involved, like it's very complicated to argue that. Yeah. But I'm so happy to hear her be like, I kind of want to sue them. Because, like, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just the amount of compassion that I'm seeing people and the amount of horror that this is kind of brought upon so that people really understand, like, the extent of it is... It brings me some kind of hope that we all agree that this is completely fucked. And I don't know if this would have been the case back when, she, you know, in the early aughts. Because no, there was just, I don't think so. Yeah, because there was just, there was just like this cruelty that was embedded in like pop culture in the public about how we see female pop stars, how we see female uh, famous people, even. Um, yeah, and I think that's part of the, I guess, whatever quote unquote reckoning that's happening now. Mm-hmm. Like you, we yeah. see in this past week there have been figures from you know, the early odds and that, that time in pop culture and celeb culture, like Perez Hilton, Justin Timberlake, they've all come out with like public support of Britney. And of course they've all gotten like, um, just slammed just with ritual. Yeah. yeah online actually- because of like their role in, in, in sort of whatever happened personally to, to yeah, Britney. Yeah. I was going to actually ask you about that. Cause it's like, of course they're going to say that now. I don't understand the reaction to their encourage- words of encouragement. I, I'm not sure what people want from Perez Hilton. Right. Or like that is, it's kind of, yeah, we're, we're in this place in culture right now where what they did previously, or I guess, like, is just not allowed. And I think part of it is maybe like a, you know, we are all complicit in what happened to Britney. Like the, this yeah. 
thing that people keep saying, which is like, not even like universally true, like a lot, like culture, I guess as a whole was complicit, but culture is made up of, of people and not just like the makers of culture and media, but also the consumers. So a lot of people, maybe, I don't know if there's just like some lingering feeling of guilt that people have about how they consumed that culture and that media and this previous time and so it's becoming almost like a projection like yeah like yeah of course like justin timberlake is gonna say this shit right now um but yeah i think it's just like a a thing about our culture and and online culture right now where people need to react somehow yeah Um, it's kind of like like with if you go to jamie lynn spears so britney's younger sister Mm -hmm. if you go to her like social media accounts or instagram like she has locked down all the comments oh yeah because people are i'm sure like getting into it uh, yeah, in her course, comments yeah. because yeah she's part of the spears family who britney like directly implicates in her yeah. testimony so but yeah there's just like so many avenues now to sort of react to people who i guess were previously thought of as like celebrities and a little bit out of reach and mm-hmm. and out of touch and i don't know there's a there's a power shift for sure that we're definitely seeing. it's just yeah I, I don't know what's gonna happen to it i don't know what's gonna happen to britney after all of this i hope she gets everything she wants mm-hmm. um i hope she is freed from this bullshit yeah um i I'm- hope that there's some accountability both financial and criminal <laughs> like <laughs> you know not that I don't want to see anybody going to jail, but I think there should be some kind of punishment. Yeah, I just kind of hope that as a society, we understand that this is completely fucked from a legal perspective. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's some movement to kind of change that. Um, yeah. And once again, as we said during our I Care A Lot discussion, um, please, like, if they're at all possible, get a power of attorney, appoint someone who you trust with your life, which is sometimes hard to judge again like the the people doing this a lot of them here are britney's family yeah but like you know as you get older as your parents get older like maybe something happens i don't know get a power of attorney that is what i will be doing like my my elderly parents as we get towards this this stage yeah definitely definitely all right so that's it for us this week we've missed you all so much unfortunately we are off again next week um just because <laughs> we've got it's fourth of july it's fourth of july man like go out be with your family i don't what was fourth of july again um fireworks and hot dogs right 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 fireworks and hot dogs yeah go go do that um but we will see you the week after that. And if you are watching anything that you think we should check out, please let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or just at us or DM us at criticismisdead on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we have been watching a bunch of stuff. We just have to figure out what we want to talk about. So if there is anything that you are like, holy shit, this is the best thing I've ever seen, please do let us know. Um, for extended show notes, including links to everything that we've talked about and more, please subscribe to criticismisdead.substack.com. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts with that smooth five stars. Yes. And please tell a friend about us. See you next week. We love you. Goodbye. Have a happy 4th of July if you celebrate. Yeah, if not, just celebrate Hot Dog Day. Like, who fucking doesn't like hot dogs? I will be going to Costco myself. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Liu and Jenny Jijong. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Liu. 